Welcome to On the Way with Tony Crisp. Each weekday, Dr. Crisp will be discussing biblical passages, people, places, and prophecies. Tune in daily to start your day right and deepen your understanding of how to better walk the way and enjoy the journey. Here's your host, Dr. Tony Crisp. Welcome to On the Way. This is Tony Crisp, and this is the 365 Bible Reading Plan. Today is October the 23rd, and our chapter for today is Ephesians chapter 3. We're going to back up and get the context of chapter 3 from chapter 2, beginning with verse 11. Therefore, remember that you, once Gentiles in the flesh, who are called uncircumcision by that which is called circumcision made in the flesh by hands. That is, the separateness between the Jew and the Gentile. And the relationship between the two has not been good. For those who were Jews, there were certain rites and rituals that only pertained to them. And they were separated out as the people of God. It says in verse 12 that at that time you were without Christ, and every Gentile was that had not been brought in to a relationship with God through the Jewish people. That at that time you were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel. Because Israel represented God to the world, the true and living God, and they represented the world to God. And we were strangers. That's Paul was writing to Gentiles. He said, those who are not Jews, they were strangers from the covenants that promised eternal life, that promised blessing, that promised a land, a people, etc. Those promises were made uh, not to the Gentiles, but to Abraham and his seed, his physical seed, because this was a national promise. This was a personal promise, and it is only in Jesus, the son of Abraham, and his Messiahship that brings us into the spiritual fold, not the DNA fold of those who are born of the seed of Abraham. We were without hope. We had no hope, no expectation of eternal life. We were without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have now been made near by the blood of Christ. Now look at this. Look what he said. Without Jesus, we were aliens, aliens from Israel, from the commonwealth, from the nation of Israel. We were not part of the promises. We were strangers from the covenant. We had no hope. We had no expectation. We were without God. But now Jesus has brought us near. For he himself is our peace. Jesus is our peace. He is our peace, who has made both one and has broken down the middle wall of separation. It's not just that it was two different peoples. There were physical things that reminded people of it. If you went up on the temple during the days of Jesus, you would have been able to go up in the beautiful courtyard and see all that was going on, the beautiful colonnade of Solomon. You would have been able to see the royal portico, all of these various things. You could have seen the smoke and the fire rising from the altar. You would have heard all of the noises of the slaughtering of animals, all those things. 
Jew and Gentile could go there. But then there was a fence called a sereg, S-O-R-E-Q, a sereg. And that was the line of demarcation. If you were not a Jew, you crossed that line, you were putting your life at risk, and there were signs to warn you of that. And so he says, but Jesus has come and broken that middle wall of separation down, having abolished in his flesh the enmity that is the law of commandments contained in the ordinances, so as to create in himself one new man from two, thus making peace. That is... The wall of Jew and Gentile was broken down. Now, again, you had visual signs of that, but he's talking about what Jesus did to take away that enmity. You see, Jesus made it so that Jew and Gentile can come alike. What does that mean? The ground is level at the cross. There is neither Jew nor Gentile. There is not anyone that has a special entree because of their birthright. They have to come the same way through repentance and faith, trusting the sacrifice of Jesus to save them. And he says that God created one new man, that he might reconcile them both to God in one body through the cross, having put to death the enmity. He came and preached peace to you who are afar off and to those who are near. In other words, it's the same gospel for Jew and Gentile. For through him we both have access by one spirit to the Father. This is just too much. Our small minds cannot get hold of this. It takes the grace of God for us to even begin to realize how wonderful this is. Now, therefore, you are no longer strangers. Why? Because we were. But now we're fellow citizens in the household of God with the saints and the members of the household. Having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus himself being the chief cornerstone, in whom the whole building being fitted together grows into a holy temple unto the Lord. You see, the church of Jesus is like a building. The apostles are the foundations. Jesus is the cornerstone. We're the superstructure. The Bible likens the church unto The bride, I'm talking about the church, Jew and Gentile, all coming the Jesus way. We're likened to a building. We're likened to a bride where Jesus is the groom. We are the bride. It all centers around him. We are the body. He is the head. And from that head flows everything. You see, these analogies, the building, the the bride, the body, are all to help us understand some aspect of the relationship that the church of Jesus, Jew and Gentile alike, have in our relationship with God. There is structure like the building. There is a foundation like a building. There are walls like a building. All of that is fit neatly together. There is a relationship between God and his people, Jew and Gentile, like that of a bride and a husband. It's a love relationship. It is a committed relationship. And the body, it all works together. No one is better than anyone else, and it all flows under the headship of Jesus. And everyone, there's some parts that are more important than others to survival and to working, but all parts of the body are important. All of these analogies, 
analogies are there to help us understand the togetherness and the unity that we have in Jesus. And so he said, it's like the whole building being fit together grows into a holy temple. God designed us for holiness in whom you also are being built together for a dwelling place of the spirit individually and collectively. And now we come to chapter three. And he says, for this cause, for this reason, if you had not have understood verses 11 through 19, then for this reason would not have been a reason because you wouldn't have known it. For this reason, I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus for you Gentiles. See, Paul was in prison because he was reaching Gentiles. It wasn't because he was doing something bad. It was because he was doing something good. It wasn't because he was doing something wrong. He was in prison for doing something right. It was not any reason that he was in prison except in following Jesus. And so this is why the book of Ephesians and Philippians and Colossians and Philemon are called prison letters, prison epistles, because he wrote them in prison and he was there because of his love for the Gentiles and reaching out to them. He says, if indeed you have heard of the dispensation of the grace of God. Now, again, this is our familiar word now to us, oikonomia, where we get our word economy and it talks about how a thing is managed. And the one who manages that is called a steward, an oikonomos, oikonomos, oikonomos. And what he does is oikonomia. He manages, but he is the manager. We know those kinds of terms. And so this is the term. The method of management that we're under now is the grace of God, which was given, Paul said, to me for you. How that by revelation, he did this on the road to Damascus. That's when it began, but he took him three years into Arabia. This is what Paul says. How that by revelation, he made known unto me the mysterious as I have briefly written to you already, by which when you read, you may understand together my knowledge in the mysterion of Christ. Now, there are several mysteries in the Bible, several mysteries in the New Testament. I have found five. I'm not going to go into them, but the incarnation itself is a mystery, according to Paul. I mean, no one knew how this was going to happen. How was God going to become man? How was this going to happen? It was a mysterion. It was hidden in the heart of God until the fullness of time. There is the mystery of the relationship between Israel and the church. There's the mysterion about the Holy Spirit coming to indwell the believer. That was a mystery. They couldn't imagine that in the Old Testament, in the Tanakh. The Spirit of God would come upon someone, leave someone, come upon Saul, leave Saul, come upon Samson, leave Samson. Even David prayed, God, do not, please do not take your Holy Spirit from me in Psalm 51. Why? Because he had seen it happen over and over again just with his predecessor, Saul, King Saul. This is why Jesus said, I am Emmanuel, I am God with you, but he shall be this other one that is like me, we know as the Holy Spirit, will come upon you. He's going to live in you. He shall be in you. That was a mysterion. There's the mysterion of the rapture, of the snatching away of the church. Now, whenever you think that is, that's between you and God. Whether you think it is before the tribulation, during the tribulation, after the tribulation, or whether you think it's some kind of combination, hear me, it is going to happen. 
And that cannot be argued about because Paul said, Behold, I show you a musterion. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. We have to be changed in a moment and in the twinkling of an eye because this mortal must put on immortality. This earthly must put on heavenly. This one who is corruptible must put on incorruption. There's got to be a change. We can't go to heaven like this. Beloved, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. Read what the Bible says, 1 Corinthians chapter 15. We've already been over this, verses 51 and following. And so I'm telling you this so that you'll understand there are musterion. There are these mysteries, and and again, a mystery is something that's hidden in the heart of God until the time of revelation. Paul said, I am the one who has been assigned to do this. Now, I I wasn't assigned to do other things, but I was assigned to do this. Why is it that we get jealous when we're not given an assignment? What we need to do is not worry about someone else, but do what God's given us to do. If each one of us would just do what God has given us to do and quit worrying about what someone else needs to do and do our job well, what a wonderful world it would be. We could call in Louis Armstrong and say, Louis, sing us what a wonderful world it would be. Because in the church of Jesus, among pastors, among deacons, among elders, among those who are serving in the church, I've never seen such jealousy in my life. If a pastor succeeds, his greatest enemy are the churches that are in the area and the pastors are in the area. I have no doubt by talking with many pastors, they would love for somebody to fail. They would love for a pastor that's just his socks are being blessed off to just fail so that he could be justified in his lack of leadership. Now, you might think that's being cold and ugly. I'm I'm not being cold and ugly. I'm just being truthful. I say this with a heartache because I see it over and over and over again. I just told a young man today who is serving another church in the area where I am, I asked him to tell me something about the church, and I told him that I wanted to give him my information so that we could talk together. I wanted to take him out to lunch so I could find out how the church that I am presently leading can help the church that he is on staff and working with. You see, I wanted his information, not so I could get something from him, but so I could give something to him and be a blessing. Not so I could get members from his church, but so I could have the members that look to me for leadership to bless his church. Oh, Lord, help us to love one another and to realize that we're all in the same body. We're all in the same building. We're all together in the family, and Jesus is the groom. We are the bride. And so he says, this is the mystery, which in other ages was not made known to the sons of men, as it has now been revealed by the Spirit to his holy apostles and prophets, that the Gentiles, this is the mystery, this is it, Hello, this is it, that the Gentiles, verse 6, that, he's going to tell you this is it, that this is the musterion that chapter 3 is talking about. There's others, but this is the one that Paul wanted them to know, that the Gentiles should be fellow heirs of the same body and partakers of his promise. Whose promise? God's promise of eternal life, of salvation, of covenant, In Christ, through the euangelion, through the gospel of which I became a servant, a minister. And all of this was according to the gift of the grace of God given unto me by the effective working of his power. 
And he goes on to say, to me who am less than the least of all the saints. Paul wasn't strutting. He was staying low. This grace was given. It was given and it remains so that I should preach among the Gentiles what is unsearchable. You can't search it out. You cannot research it. Why? Because it is mind-blowing. It's mind-boggling. The riches of Messiah and to make all see what is the fellowship of this mystery, which from the beginning of the ages has been hidden in God, who created all things through Christ. This is exactly what John has been saying. This is explaining what happened in Genesis 1 and 2. And here is the the intention is that now the manifold, the variegated wisdom of God, that is shades and nuances and color that the color spectrum cannot even touch, that the wisdom of God might be made known by the church. We are to know God so well and know his word so well that we will be the epitome of what God meant for us to be to the principalities and powers in the heavenly places according to the eternal purpose which he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord in whom we have boldness to access with the confidence through faith in him. Therefore, I ask that you do not lose heart at my tribulation for you, which is your glory. (laughs) Some translations say that you don't faint. We have a lot of fainting fits going on among the church of Jesus. Why? Because it looks like we're losing. It looks like that uh, the enemy is going to win. It looks like that everything is down. I mean, we're in the bottom of the ninth. We are in the fourth quarter. We're in the two-minute warning. On and on and on. And we think we're going to lose sometime. No, 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 no. Oh, we might lose a battle here and there, but we're not going to lose the war. Why? Because the Lord Jesus has already won it. It's just a matter of time. I don't know exactly how it's going to end up, but I knew as far as the mechanics of it, we get glimpses here and there, but I can tell you Jesus wins. We win. And he said, for this reason, I bow my knees to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, from whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named, that he would grant you, this is my prayer for you, dear friend, that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with might through his spirit in your inner man, that Christ may dwell in your hearts through trust, that you being rooted and grounded in agapao, in agape, in love, that you may be able to comprehend with all saints what is the width and length and depth and height, to know the love of God which passes knowledge. He said, I want you to know what you can't know. I want you to know what you don't know. I want you to know the knowledge that is so wonderful, it passes knowledge, that you may be filled with the fullness of God, the fullness of his spirit. Now to him, now to him, who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above three, three superlatives, exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think, above all that we ask, Oh, my, above all that we think, oh, above all that we imagine, how can he do that? He does it according to the power that works in us by the Holy Spirit. To him be glory in the church by Jesus Christ to all generations forever and ever. Amen. Say amen. Say amen. For on the way, this is Tony Chris. 
Thanks for listening to On The Way with Tony Crisp. Tune in every weekday for information on biblical passages, people, places, and prophecies. Fridays are for your questions. Email your questions to questions at TonyCrisp.org. Then just listen for your question to be answered on Friday's podcast. That's questions at TonyCrisp.org. Thanks for listening and have a blessed day on the way.